right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. It is the last Friday of 2016. So let's celebrate the new year with a very uh, uh, unique, uh, some might say crazy interview with another member of the Amazing Heart family. This time I've got Teddy Hart. He is the most controversial member of the Hart family, the most uh, critically acclaimed and uh, critically unacclaimed member. He's got some amazing stories, great stories about living with Stu Hart, growing up around Brett and Owen Hart, working with CM Punk at Ring of Honor, and the real heat they had, the real shoot fight they had, how and why it happened. Teddy's also talking about his own start in the wrestling business and some of the trouble he got into as a kid. He's got some crazy, crazy stories about drugs and gangsters and working undercover with the uh, Calgary police. Uh, yes, yeah, some pretty fantastic stuff. So Teddy's coming up. Uh, but before we start in with Teddy here in the uh, St. Louis airport, as I wait, uh, wait the delay for my flight to uh, to Brooklyn. This is part of being on the road. Christmas time, the flight was supposed to leave at ten fifteen. Now it's leaving at twelve thirty. Hopefully, I get into Brooklyn on time. You guys will know if I did or didn't. Uh, when this airs, the show has already been done. So I figured I'll grab my portable rig. I'll set it up on the floor of the airport. I'm sitting in the corner. People are probably looking at me like I'm nuts. I don't care. This is what I got to do to bring Talk is Jericho to you. I got responsibilities, man. So if I'm causing a little bit of a disturbance, <laughs> sorry. It's funny because I got my big pillowcase full of uh, of uh, equipment here. And I'm taking it out and setting it up. I'm like, I'm, I'm lucky that some you know security guard or cop didn't come. As I got all these wires and mics and batteries and, uh, you know, recording packs and stuff uh, might look like I'm doing something lascivious but I'm not I'm just doing talk as Jericho for all you sexy beast listeners and we got Teddy Hart coming up this this is talk is Jericho okay so uh, Hart family one of the greatest wrestling families of all time also uh, in some ways very outspoken a little bit weird a little bit uh, controversial and I think you are all of those things Teddy Hart uh, I think definitely you, you have a, that reputation of all the Hart family of being kind of one of the uh, most out, out in space uh, members of the family. Yeah, definitely. Until you hear me speak, uh, usually once uh, podcasts are done, guys understand uh, I'm definitely out there, but I'm an educated guy and I respect the business and I, I try to keep uh, a very a good memory and an honest account of things. So sometimes it's just that something happened and I'm telling it the way it is. I could sugarcoat it or change it and it wouldn't sound as good and I think my reputation uh, and my credibility would go down the toilet. After all these years of being crazy, you can count on uh, crazy but true. And I think that's the difference with people. Crazy and bullshit doesn't sell, but if you're truthful and you're crazy enough to climb to the top ropes and risk your life for no money ever, but for Chris Jericho to be able to come and see me and I go, I love this business so much, I'd like to be able to look you and Shawn Michaels in the eye and Rey Mysterio Jr., guys that motivated me to never quit. And uh, that, sure, I'm out there, but following your footsteps, guys, is, is nuts. I watched you break your neck. I thought you died on the double of the Frankensteiner where both guys stood on the top ropes. And I'd never seen a bump like that, and you landed right on your head. And after I saw that, I, I always wanted to tell you that I tried that move right after, and I landed right on my head, almost broke my neck. And I had no idea how good and <laughs> how hard what you guys home, did man. <laughs> until I did it myself. So. But, but that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being out there, especially in this business, because it's all based. If you're not a little bit out there, you'll never quite grasp, because it's a very strange business that, that, this, that we're in. Absolutely. You know? Another thing with trying to be out there is I try to keep wrestling angles real backstage where guys might be thinking I'm this guy. If that sells tickets or you're telling eight guys 
advising the audience that I'm a prick because the promoter and I are working you. I've done my job because I don't have a character that's going to get booked continually. If I'm, a, if I'm an idiot or a piece of shit and this is the reputation I have or I have problems with promoters, what do you think the conversation would be? I walk into a building. I've never met the guy. I want constant work. I'm going to tell the guy, F you. I'm not doing the finish and that I think your guys suck. I said, I don't understand. That's what that's what the boys or the guys on the internet state that Teddy Hart's like. I'm like, I show up in a suit I made custom. I show up in new gear. I pay for my own ticket generally. I don't sell merch because I don't want to take money away from the few guys that are there because they already pay me an extended value based on my ticket from Canada. So I always was polite. I always kissed ass. I never caused problems with promoters. Yet my reputation when it came back to me who has the life to reading all this stuff that I really didn't have time to read. It was always so bad about me. I said, it broke my heart. I signed more pictures for kids and did more stuff after shows and more moves for free simply so I could look other wrestlers in the eye that said I used the heart name and I had, it, I had this given to me. I said, maybe I did, but I never, ever took a shortcut for moves. I tried to do more than Dynamite, tried to do more than you, more than Sean, more than Benoit, more than Mysterio, more than Kidman, more than uh, Dean Malenko. I could name Tiger Mask, Dynamite. Every guy that I could see, I tried to take a little bit from every one of those guys because those guys are rolling warriors they're legends and they're still working a lot of those guys that didn't die are better wrestlers now than they were before i watch a lot of the stuff you do now and i'm like he i think he's a better wrestler now than he was before he moves differently his because he's older he's got a much more a, a different psychology i enjoy watching ray now in lucha underground i enjoyed watching you and neville those are things like when i see i think you and i would have a, an unbelievable match or Shawn michaels and i if he came out of retirement and actually laced up one more time to have a, a super match with me if bret hart couldn't beat Shawn Michaels and he couldn't he wasn't a better wrestler than Shawn he didn't have more charisma than Shawn at that time Vince McMahon was right to pass the torch to the younger guy he had a more he had he had a different appeal and he could work more guys than Brett could because Brett at that time I think was already hurt more than he wanted to say and Shawn's always hurt so you never know how bad his body was but on what I thought I would have bet on Shawn instead of Brett and I think Brett caused the business to, to stay at a certain level until Shawn and Brett worked together and then they elevated it up where after that you needed to see a guy that was a cross between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart which was where I wanted to be Jack Evans wanted to be uh, Ricochet wanted to be Neville wanted to be Will Ospreay wanted to be they wanted to be the most technical guy along the lines of what you do what Dean Malenko did what Rey Mysterio did and then have this other style where they have Shawn Michaels charisma they have Shawn Michaels unpredictability I never knew what Shawn was going to do he maybe did the same moves a lot, but I never knew what he was going to do. I always knew what Brett was going to do. And also, Sean, you know, the way he conducted himself, you know, I lost my smile or I'm injured or you never knew what he was going to do. You and Sean are the best the guys I've ever seen. Uh, you, you're the best Mike guy. I don't know how you remember. Chris Benoit and I had a little talk once about how smart you were, and that's why. Really? He, oh, dude, he, that the reason he wasn't a, he he said I'll never be on a level with Jericho because I don't have any Mike skills. Mm. He, he, I can I can out wrestle any of those guys in my little mm, category. True but I have no mic skills and I have zero charisma and I don't, and I can't develop the charisma. I can, I can develop aggressiveness. So his charisma, he said, would be his aggressiveness, but his charisma is not the rock. It's not Chris Jericho. And he said that clearly to me, he goes, you have an X factor where you can at this stage develop enough characteristics of all these guys you're watching. So when you go in there, you know what got Chris Jericho a, a double belt. First guy to get this, or there's a reason Triple H liked him and didn't like a lot of the other guys that came from Calgary. 
Mm-hmm. You never got the stigma of being one of the heart guys, even though you were one of the heart guys and you did more for the heart name than anyone else. Lance Storm's done more for the heart name than I, I don't want to kiss his ass. I don't want to, but he runs a beautiful school. He trains guys the right way. He Probably. teaches fundamentals, slow down. I'm all about slow. But when I get brought into a show and I got nine guys that are trying to outwork me and eat my lunch on a show, I'm going to go with the pace of, this, of the indie show. If it's slow, I wrestle slow. If it's nine high spots, I do 13 because I'm not going to be outdone by a bunch of guys saying that they're the greatest wrestlers in the world, but they never got a chance to be on TV because they're too reckless. I can be reckless without ever getting injured. I take that as another thing is I've never been seriously injured in wrestling and I've never hurt a guy in my career with all my crazy shit. I've never had a surgery. You've done some crazy stuff. If you watch my highlight videos, the only advantage I ever had was I learned things smooth by going to gymnastics, getting a harness, asking a guy like Greg Luganis, a diver, how would I get to be doing a triple twist? He says, go to gymnastics and get a harness. You'll never know where you're at when you're jumping until you start to gauge it. So we'd start putting stuff seven feet, six feet, five feet, and until you can hit a 450, six feet, you know the ropes are only three foot five. If you can't hit a 450 up there, you're not doing the move. So we would have guys at least learning things properly as a, as a sport. But as a sport, I never got credit for the highest shooting star press. I never got credit for the first moonsault full twist. I never got credit for any of those things. Not that I did the first moonsault full twist. I didn't. I'm just stating to you, for all the moves that are out there, I can almost go back in time and say, first guy to do this, first guy to do this, first guy to do this. All I wanted was to be known as one of the most innovative wrestlers in the world. I never asked for a job one time to Vince McMahon. I couldn't be more of an asshole if you're looking at a guy to get hired than Teddy Hart. And that's, a, that's I don't want to be Brett. I watched his career. He didn't look like he had a good time. Mm-hmm. He looked like he was miserable, on the road, tired, beaten up. I look at the car after and I go... I don't know if I, I don't know if five million dollars from Lloyd's of London's worth enough money to be walking around with no knees. I've done more than Brett's ever done right now, and I have no injuries whatsoever to my body. And I can walk away from wrestling right now and say that I never made any money in wrestling. I donated all the money I ever had back to other guys making it. I bought guys food. I bought guys juice. I bought guys cars. I bought guys opportunity. I brought guys in, and I made sure they got the match. They got the victory. They got the belt. Why did you do that? Because I'm worthless if my guys don't make it. You're never going to want to be the first guy in. If you're coming after me, it's going to make it way harder for all those other guys. I just wanted a day where 37, 38, Kevin Nash stands beside me and goes, I'll walk you to the ring. I go, Jericho, Triple H. I got Triple H if he would agree to let me go back and see if Shawn Michaels and Teddy Hart could have one feud. Just one. I would I would love. I, don't, I want to put him over because I deserve to because it was a clean finish. He needs to get the clean finish in Canada on the heart. He deserves it he should go out with the best guys ever and I don't I'm not there's no disrespect to Brett but to me the money match would have been you me Jack Evans Tyson Kidd uh, Ted DiBiase Jr. I don't know if you ever heard about Court Bauer had done an angle where it was supposed to be you walking out the Hart Foundation originally they no. projected this is before the, you the came new, back as new, Y2J yeah, in 2007 this is way back then right. so they project they did an angle where it might be Brett walking with you guys so it'd be you and Benoit as like the captains with Brett as the guy and then it was supposed to be Ted DiBiase Jr. because he was third generation it was supposed to be myself Uh, Jack Evans wasn't signed they were supposed to sign him Natalia and Harry Smith and then something happened Brett wrote the book anyway they cut a bunch of pages out of the one they wanted him to release he said that's not enough of what I feel my story is I'm going to go with my own producer or my own editor or publication and they basically called me after and said uh we don't have any room for hearts. 
and Brett wrote his book. I knew my time was up. Mm -hmm. I, I got the message that I was blackballed from TNA by them. The WWE called them and said, Teddy was a problem here. I don't think you want to use him. So I called Scott Tamora and TNA. He said, we can't use you. WWE doesn't want you being one of their guys that we push because they'll take TNA. WWE sends their guys to TNA all the time after they're done and they go to TNA and get a nice little contract and they get to work there. They had no room for me. So Conan, out of all the guys, ends up being the only guy who called me back. And I was desperate looking for work there. I was already in Florida. Chris Jericho was the only guy to ever have the balls to book me at a show, stand beside me, not Brett, not Davey Boy, not Owen, uh, not when I was Mr. Controversial, but he actually, he bet me, he dared me. He says, I don't know you that well. He goes, but if you're not at the building, I don't even know if you're that talented, but I've heard good things about you. If you're not at the building tomorrow, knocking on that door, trying to get in, don't ever show up for another wrestling show again because I'm not going to help you out, but I'll help you out tomorrow. A WWE show, right? So yeah, it's for yeah. WWE show. So and I was very nervous and I told you, I said, I don't want to be that asshole standing at the door with my bag in my hand, knocking on the door. I said, it's humiliating enough to be a heart now with Brett gone and all this shit. I said, I don't want to be that desperate guy with the tape in his hand. I said, if they don't know who I am, they don't need to know me. They don't want me. If they don't know what I can do, I said, they know what I can do. I don't want to be that. You said, I don't care about any of it. And show up tomorrow at the door. And I said, please be there. And he, he said, you don't have to worry about me. So I went to the door in my suit and I walked in and someone got Chris and Chris came right to the front door. He goes, I'm going to take you to get paid right now so you can't leave. And I said, paid to do what? He goes, you're wrestling tonight. He goes, you got a match with Harry Smith. And Johnny Ace was real nice to me that night. But the reason I met Chris was because a lot of the guys I hang out with are gangsters. And gangsters sometimes are, are hotheads and they're stupid. But I think someone is asking Chris or Batista for pictures. And these guys were wanting to drink and they didn't want to be bothered. Which doesn't really sound like Chris Jericho's MO because usually he's pretty friendly. So it got back to us that these guys are really upset. And they were talking about like doing something stupid. Like trying to shoot somebody or stab somebody outside the club. <laughs> so my friend went over named Paul. And Paul was nice enough to talk to Chris. And Chris came over and he says, I didn't know you're Teddy Hart. And he slapped me on the chest. And he says, well, tell those guys to come over for a drink and we'll, we'll smooth it over. So Chris, being a diplomat and a smart man, he got, he got everybody drinks and Batista, he bought everybody drinks and they gave a guy, I think Batista picked the guy up and held him and shook him and uh, did the whole wrestling gimmick thing. And at the end of the night, all those guys went from wanting to kill these wrestlers, which they didn't even know about that they'd even done anything wrong. It just would have been something stupid. They walk outside and then maybe it's a, a catastrophe. But it turned out to be the only guy with the balls to walk me down, talk to me. And then he got me another day. Chris booked me the next day for uh, Velocity and I got my next match on Velocity and uh, Vince McMahon came and talked to me and it was the first time I got to talk to Vince by myself without anybody around no, no Shane, no Carl DeMarco no security, just came up to me, shook my hand and I swear to God I felt the energy of Vince McMahon go into my body and it was a weird feeling of like it felt like he transferred something good into me, though, not bad. And I always was told not to shake his hand. Shane McMahon never lets me shake his hand. He always makes me fist pump him for some weird mm. reason. He never shakes my hand. A lot of times, I've seen WWE, and he always blocks other people from shaking my hand. So I got Vince's hand before he could give me the fist pump because I, I knew I'd been, I'd been around the McMahons enough to know that they don't shake hands, at least with me. So I got Vince's hand, and I shook it, and then I saw right after the handshake a bunch of guys coming over to break it up that I was talking to Vince and they said what this so I got in a lot of shit for it Johnny for what? Came for, why for, for talking to they thought I walked up to Vince 
Hmm. Like just had enough balls. Teddy Hart says, there he is, that guy. And he just walks up to Vince and starts cutting a promo on Vince. And it's like, I had a beautiful girl with me that was a model from Poland. And she was doing swimsuit stuff in Calgary. And she was with me. So Vince came up to see the girl ah. and said, she's a beautiful girl. You always have a pretty woman with you. It's nice to see you represent wrestling. And uh, you're wrestling tonight, I hear. I'm going to watch the match. The smallest thing in the world would be like Chris Jericho letting me out a show. I never got anything from Brett. Owen was dead when he tried to help me be the Blue Blazer. I got like a month to hang out with Owen and then he died. Mm-hmm. And Davey Boy, same thing. He just started coming back and he was doing really good. And then he did the match with The Rock and he was starting to get a push. And then he died. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Brian Pillman, uh, he was gonna, he, from what Bruce told me, he was supposed to start going back. He was going to start doing stuff in Calgary, trying to help the school there because uh, Bruce was his guy. And uh, guys, you have to remember, I'm all over the place because we have no questions. But that's when I went back to the Lance. No, no, but, but there, there is questions, but you're, you know, the story that you're telling, the, the one question I do want to ask you is if, you know, Vince shakes your hand and Vince is happy to see you, you've, you've worked for the WWE twice, why both times did it end with you getting let go so quickly? The conspiracy of the Teddy Hart uh, story is when I was in rehab, I don't know if Stephanie McMahon wrote it down or Ann Russo wrote it down, but they wrote down $60 million lost revenue on Teddy Hart so far. How? That's what they said. They said, we've lost $60 million of lost revenue not being able to rely on you. And I said, I don't understand. What do you want me to do? And so I finished the rehab program and I account a lot of it to Brett's fear of me taking his name that he worked so hard for and he did such a great job for so many years to let some reckless loose cannon he doesn't know possibly become prime minister of Canada type of power with Brett's name. The power I have right now, Chris, just being Brett's nephew, as long as I'm sober and I don't drink much, but I, I and I will get into the, I've done GHB before and I used to do it a lot, but I never had a problem with it ever. I always thought it was a, a safe alternative to alcohol and it helped me sleep when I was on the road and when I take steroids, which I've been taking steroids since I was 17 years old, guys. I signed when I was 17 years old as 148 pounds. With the WWE? With WWE. At 17? At 17, Bruce Pritchard had to, to cheat the contract to get me in there, and I was 17, 18 years old, and then uh, 18, I got the second contract, which was a huge one. And that money, my dad took all my money from me. He gave me one credit card with a certain limit, and all the rest of the money got invested into a medical marijuana grow up in California because he said, you're not going to last in WWE. You're a up but you're gonna smoke pot i can already tell you're hooked on pot and if if your personality type is what i think it is if you try cocaine you're dead you are a dead man mark my words then i got stuck in a a really up gimmick you'll be the first guy to tell this to but i got uh stuck where this guy tried to molest me uh type of thing here but it was uh even more weird it was more like the guy said to me you're having a lot of problems graduating and Carl DeMarco says you need a diploma to be in WWE and Ross Hart's a fucking school teacher. So Ross blocked me from going to WWE originally and said he has to get an education. Ross and Bruce were like the liaisons at that time. So finally Carl DeMarco had enough of dealing with Ross and Bruce and anyone that had to do with me, he just talked to me directly. And Carl says, if you get a diploma right now, I don't care what you have to do, but I'll bring you up here right away. We'll, get, we'll bring you up. So I went to my dad and I said, do you know any crooked principals in town or do you know anyone I can get a diploma from? He says, there's a correspondence program for guys like you, he, cowards, lazy fucks, guys that don't want to do the work. He goes, well, I'll make a phone call. So 
And at that time, I was even, I was a lot, now I'm a very hardworking and driven man, and I, I've been with God for a long time. I'm not a born-again Christian, I'm just a born-again believer in humanity, basically, is what I call it. So, but the, my dad gave me the name and number, went down, this principal was such a cool guy. So he says to me, he goes, five grand, I'll give you the diploma. I said, I make five grand in a weekend. I said, at this time, we're selling hard drugs. So I offered him $3,000. And he said, come back with $3,000 tomorrow, and I'll write up the papers, and we'll put all these papers into motion that you wrote all these exams, and I'll pay someone to come in and do all of the correspondence for you. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. So deal was made. I went down, and uh, he says to me, he goes, I want to show you something. So he pulls this bookcase back, and he's got a hidden door. He says, I brought these guys in from Mexico so it wouldn't be on the city records. And they built me this special room downstairs. I love this school. I've been here for years. So I said, oh, cool, man. Secret room. Awesome. I go downstairs. He says to me, he goes, uh, can I ask you a question? He goes, can I suck your dick? And I said, what the f***? I said, I thought this was about the $3,000, man. He goes, well, I need some collateral uh, proof that you're not going to turn around and go to the cops. I said, so you sucking my dick's going to do that? He goes, no, I just wanted to know if you're gay. He goes, I'm gay. He goes, and a lot of kids down here want to do it. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, let me show you. He had a book of like 200 people, kids, over the last 10 years that had cheated their way to getting a diploma by doing sexual shit with him downstairs willingly. The second I said no, he says, I'm ashamed of myself for misreading you. I apologize. Do you want your money back? You can keep the diploma. So he gave me my money back and he still let me have my diploma. After two weeks of wondering how long this guy's been doing this for, I went to my dad and my dad says, I knew. He goes, I didn't think you were going to be that stupid. Thank God you didn't get molested. He goes, you know what happened to your friend? The one that shot himself in the head. He got his diploma. He, he didn't get out of the situation quite like you did. And I said, F-. he goes, we've been investigating this principle for years and we thought you'd be the guy. And you were the guy. Your conscience is now kicked in and you can't allow this guy to live. So you're going to go now turn yourself in and get charged by the RCMP for bribing a principal. Federal offense. And I became uh, some kind of police informant after that. They basically said to me, uh, we're going to either take your record and flush you down the toilet because you can't cross the border if you uh, bribe the principal and your WWE career is over. Or you can work with us. And I said, what do you want me to do? And they said, we just want you to watch things and we want you to keep track of things and we'll give you a job every once in a while. So a couple years later, they gave me a job with these airplane pilots and all I had to do was watch them. And these guys were flying uh, 2,000, 3,000 pounds of weed out of Calgary every single day for like a year. They had all this surplus. Then after that, it dried out to about 750 pounds a week and they made so much money in a, say a two year period of time. They ended up doing this uh, mat rat show to launder their money. And that was where the bat rats came. That's where basically all of uh, all of this stuff came. That was all after WWE released me. It was the only thing I could do was train kids and teach kids. The cops gave me all these kids. They called it the early bird program. So I trained nine, nine officers that were uh, youth kids that were in my wrestling school to see if I was going to give them cocaine or steroids or be a bad guy. And that's how I met Jack Evans. That's how I met Marky Starr, Jake, all these guys that are cops. Now Jack's not a cop. Jack works in Mexico. But... All these kids were in my school and I actually was a good guy and I taught them good stuff and I learned my lesson from the principal that one day really quickly with my dad uh, not to bullshit and tell the truth because we went to an investigation. The principal admitted it. He was real cool. He was real nice. He said the kid was the only guy out of all these kids. The principal took the charge. They gave him retirement pay. They never put his name in the paper. They were, mm. He just got to walk away from it. No problems at all. So I, I just kind of 
scratch my head and I had a job after that working with the police. My, the, my job of being an informant consisted of me and my friend over here standing at the bar watching people that were drinking and driving and we'd tell the homeless guy the real drunks and if they were nice enough to give the homeless guy five bucks or a couple bucks he'd let them drive home. If they wouldn't he'd mark them and the cops would see that these guys were drinking way more than what they needed to. The undercover cop was a homeless guy on the street. And I always laughed. I said, you never know in Calgary or at Canada who's undercover and who's not. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Eh, amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. Let me ask you this question. You mentioned your dad a couple times. You talked about Brett and all and stuff. How was it growing up in the Hart family uh, and knowing you want to get in the business? Is there a lot of pressure to have that last name in, in, in the business when you first start or even now? It, yeah, it's the craziest pressure. And there's no, there's no uh, reward. There's no mm. one in the family pushing you. There's no one wanting you to do well. My grandfather was the, the biggest Teddy Hart fan. He always said that I was the best out of all of the wrestlers he had ever seen. Really? He always, he never stretched me. I was the only one to never get stretched by Stu Hart. He never touched me. He always, he always bothered, he always laughed. He says, you're the kind of guy, if I stretched you, you'll come back and get me later. And my grandfather was so, so tired at the end when he was uh, in his house by himself. His wife had already died. And this is a sad story, but he fell face first into the toilet from the toilet onto the scale and he knocked himself out and he was bleeding all over the floor I'm living at the house at the time and I can't stand these dogs he has because they piss all over the goddamn house so this dog comes in and pisses right beside me while I'm sleeping the dog is so smart it's trying to wake me up Hmm. so I go to grab this dog the dog scurries away and it takes me right to my grandfather and he's laying in a pile of blood on the toilet I wake him up and he goes just leave me here and I said not a chance I said fuck there's a reason you never stretch me I said because if you'd stretch me and humiliated me in the basement I said I'd probably leave you in a pile of your piss and blood to die here like, 
like I said, but not a chance. I said, you always believed in me. I said, no one else did. I said, you called, Vin Stu Hart called Vince McMahon for me right on the phone and said, I just want you to know my grandson, Ted here is the best out of all of them and he's going to make money for you someday. He goes, just give him some time. And that was the only call I ever saw my grandfather even make to Vince and Vince was nice enough to take the call. This was like 15 years ago and he just said, I always keep, I always take a uh, great value in your opinion of talent. Thank you. And that was the end of the conversation. And it was just like my grandfather was a, a huge part of my life, which I don't talk about, but my mom was so close to him. We are the ones that were always at the house. My mom was stupid. Your mom is Georgia? Georgia. She always did all the Sunday dinners and she took care of my grandfather and grandmother all the time. She, was, and, uh, she didn't have a house. She didn't have a job. Her job was to take care of the family, do all the cooking and help with the kids. And there's 35 grandkids at the house. There's a lot of family. So... The question of the pressure was, the pressure was of people saying I use Brett's name when I never tried to use Brett's name, but how can you not use Brett's name when you're a heart? It's mm -hmm. just gonna go, but, but to, not, to not be, uh, I didn't wanna be a shitty wrestler. So again, but what's a good wrestler? Based on what, did I get a contract? Did I get a job? Was I reliable? I don't know, I never had a chance to prove myself. I never knew what I could do. They never gave me a chance. Do you think you got signed too young? Oh, the, the only reason they signed me was I think that they was gonna kill me. I think they thought, here's an easy way of getting rid of Teddy Hart, uh, and we don't have to worry about another Hart coming up in the future. How do you, how do you mean? Who gives an 18-year-old kid a million-dollar contract, puts him in a room with Glenn Kalka, who's smoking crack, and I'm a drug dealer, so I make money on the guy instead of smoking crack with him. Tom Pritchard comes up to me, and he says, the guys in the hotel want to know why you're getting ashes for him. I said, Tom, I said, he's smoking crack. He needs Brillo and ashes. I said, I'm tired of hearing the guy complaining. He's got a crackhead in his room. I end up getting stuck with him, and they, I miss my flight, or I miss my, uh, my morning wake-up call because I'm sleeping in the bathtub of the bathroom because he's got a girl in the hotel room. I don't rat him out. I don't say a word. I just tell Tom. Tom's my guy. I always told Tom Pritchard everything, and Tom just said, again, you're with all these men. I'm 18. I couldn't even go to a club. Can't even rent a car. You know, I'm a little skinny 18-year-old kid. I got a big, big, uh, contra a big uh, credit card limit on my thing. So I'm so stupid. What do you think the first thing my dad says to me? He goes, what $600 haircut did you get? And I'm like, I didn't know it was $600. I didn't know what they charged me. Of course, the $600 bill comes up on the credit card. He's like, typical wrestler behavior. He's like, uh, next thing you do, you're going to be fucked up. And of course, next thing you do, GHB. They give us a big bottle of GHB. They say, well, this is something you take to sleep. Mm -hmm. I said, what happens if you take it during the day? It gives you lots of energy. I said, okay, well, I'll try it during the day. So, of course, I try it. I have an addictive personality. I'm hooked. It, get, it gives you energy if you want to take it with uh, cocaine, uh, with uh, Coca-Cola mm -hmm. or Pepsi. Mm -hmm. And if you take it for, with orange juice, you can sleep. So I'm like, this is perfect. I smoke a little pot, do a little G. And my dad caught me uh, with a couple bottles that I brought back from the States. And WWE never knew. But it got worse and worse. And then the third time I was there, uh, somebody, I'm not gonna put them on blast, but somebody stole my bags. And my, my GHB was in the bags. I think that's what they wanted out of the bags because I bought all of it from the health food store. Legal. Mm -hmm. So I was yeah, making right. money. So all the guys wanted it. And I walked in and bought nine bottles of it. So I bought the whole store out and I kept it all for myself. All the boys were choked and I bought all the GHB. And no one had money. I was the only guy with the contract that had money at that time. So like the third dojo, Kurt Angle was my roommate and he was a really cool guy to watch. That time he was in unbelievable shape. And, that, and a natural. Running yeah. the craziest athlete I've yeah. ever seen that was not a wrestler guy first. Because he saw, I saw some good athletes, but I never knew what they did before. I didn't mm -hmm. think Shawn Michaels played any sports before. I don't know what Owen yeah. did before. I don't know what you did before hockey. Nothing bit. really, but yeah. He was from another sport. So um, 
Angle would run in the morning. He'd wake up at 6, maybe 5.30. I'm sleeping in. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm just going to run the stairs. He'd run the whole set of stairs all the way up and down like five times, maybe 13 floors, 14 floors. Come back. He's sweating. He just puts the oatmeal in a container, a little bit of water, mixes it up, eats it, gets another meal, eats it, looks at me, and he goes, I don't know what kind of athlete you are. He goes, you don't eat breakfast? You don't get up in the morning? You don't do anything? I said, oh, wait. And I ran. I said, just wait. And I pulled out a bag of weed. And he goes, what the f*** are you doing? He goes, you can't have weed around me. I'm Kurt Angle. I was trying to get a Wheaties commercial. I said, oh, it's just weed. Who cares? He goes, maybe in your eyes, not in my eyes and not in the eyes of public opinion. He goes, you can't have that around me. So I think he went to the office in his own safety to himself and said, hey, I got this kid here and he's, he's uh, not professional. And he's too young and he doesn't understand what responsibility he has. Right. Or I'm so smart, Chris, I already knew exactly the responsibility of Brett, Davey, Owen, Jim, and The Rock on top of that. And I said, there's not a chance I'm going to take this job, but I don't want to look like I got fired. But my behavior was, of, I look back and I go, you must have been either mentally impaired or you wanted to get fired so yeah, badly. because You had a contractual death wish. You're homesick, yeah. you're scared. You don't want to get beat up by these guys. I was 150 pounds. Even when I started taking juice, I only put on 10 pounds from the time I was hired to the time I was fired. It was so hard to put on size for me. I, even to this day, I've, I've been training. I cannot get above 200 pounds. I was squatting like five plates. But does it really plates. matter at this no. point in time though? Maybe 15 years ago you thought it did, but not anymore, right? Somehow I'm in better shape now than I was 12 years ago. Let's talk about a couple of your, the, the classic Teddy Hart stories. Like I said, we, we don't know each other very well. We've been around yes. places and crossed paths, but always heard there's two that stand out. And the one is, is it the cage match with the yeah. moon salts and shooting stars? Ring of Honor cage Let, match. Fill me in on that one. Because even if other people have heard it, I never have. I was there for two things. Uh, Steve Carino was starting to cut shoot promos. And I guess for some reason he mentioned me. I, ha I hadn't seen him in years. I was in the WWE dojo with him. And he said, Teddy Hart's a goof. And goof means, it's a bad word in Canada for gangsters. Mm. We were watching him on TV at a clubhouse, uh, a biker clubhouse. Wow. And they said, you're going to let that guy talk shit about you? He called you a goof. So I said, you know what? I said, I'm not going to let that happen. I said, I've never taken an indie booking. I'm going to call Ring of Honor right now and see if I can get booked. So I called Feinstein up and I said, hey, it's Teddy Hart here. And uh, he goes, I've heard a little bit about you. And he, I said, I'll fly myself up and my partner to have a match on your show. I said, but understand when I get to the building, I'm going to kick the shit out of Steve Carino. He says, why? I said, just wait and see. I said, I'm not the kind of guy that lies about shit. I said, if I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Mark my words. I said, so when I got there, he said, can you guys go to the ring? He had a little ring in Philly somewhere. I go to the ring and do some stuff. And I said, no, here's a DVD. So he watched the DVD. And after five minutes, he looked at the DVD and he went, you're going to blow AJ Styles and uh, Paul London and those guys out of the water with that new stuff because he had all those guys working for him already. And I said, well, that's up to you. You're the promoter. I said, what do you want to do with this? He says, I'm going to put you in this big match. Then we're going to have you do this huge dive. So Gabe Sabalski, he gave me a really good spot where I was the last guy to go out and do a dive after my match. So it was a match and it was real technical. He says, don't do anything off the top until the very end. Just do one move, which is not my style. I got to win an audience over. I want to do all my shit. He says, do not. I'm going to bring you back for 10 shows. 
I like you. I can, I can make you a superstar. Let me be the guy that pushes you. So I said, awesome. This is going to be really cool. I'll do a backflip double full twist to the floor. Never been done before. Ultimo Dragon's there watching. Oh. So he's watching and I wanted him to. So I did it and I hit it perfect and the crowd went crazy. And it was the biggest pop of the whole night and it was the last spot of the whole night. So Gabe let me be the, the big, because I trusted him. Right. He says, don't do anything else. So the next show... They, they're all hyped up about Teddy Hart. They see Jack Evans' video. They say, we want Jack Evans. Don't bring TJ next time. We'll bring TJ, Harry, Jack, and you, but we want to bring Jack this time. We'll do the scramble cage. We see these, pot, these platforms on top of the ring that you built for Matt Rats. We're going to put them on top of the cage. So when guys say that we weren't supposed to do stuff off the cage, it's like, guys, they built platforms specifically for me to do stuff off the cage. It was the guys in the match that tried to cut the spots out. So when I got concussed, and this is my beef to Gabe, Gabe cut the tape. I got thrown into the guardrail, and I took an upside-down bump into the guardrail, like a flipping turnbuckle, but into the guardrail. I didn't realize the guardrail wasn't going to give. I came straight back down on my head, and I knocked myself out. I don't remember anything. All I remember was the spots we were supposed to do, which was a shooting star press and a moonsault to the floor, which is the only two moves I did. They act like it was a big deal because after the show, not a lot of guys are going to do a standing moonsault from the top of the cage onto their feet as a salute. I did four of them. That's how good my knees were and how good my legs you were. You just kept going back up and, and doing that. Because the fans wouldn't stop cheering. It was the first ever double moonsault. It was the first ever Phoenix splash. You're talking about a 20-foot cage onto the cement floor. I'll show you the highlight video after this real quick so you can see and how crazy that building was going. And you tell me if I just go like this after and walk away. Or if you, Chris Jericho, would have sat in that ring and let those people... Because I don't know if I'm ever coming back again. And I'm half knocked out. I don't remember anything. And I said, what have I lied? I bury myself all the time. I never needed to lie all these years to make an excuse up for anything. I said, it's me. I was an idiot. Or it was me. I was lazy. Or it was me. I did this because I wanted to. I didn't want to. I don't remember a thing. I don't remember anything. I went to the back. They said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I said, I don't remember anything. All I remember is doing some backflips at the end and the fans cheering my name. I said, I don't know who won the match. I don't know when the match started. I said, I've never had a concussion. And I'm puking the whole time. I'm throwing up because of the concussion all over the ring. Mm-hmm. So that was my, that with Rob, the Ring of Honor incident was simply Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, CM Punk, Christopher Daniels, uh, Brian Danielson wasn't that mad about it, but he was brought in on the group. They all made a little group and they said, we're not going to, we won't work a promotion if they book Teddy Hart. We won't do this. CM Punk tries to go on and be like, there's no conspiracy against Teddy Hart. No one cared about him. No, I said, I was a better wrestler than you were. You're no way, shape or form that you could make his CM Punk argument. I'll go back in time, any time and say, you put Teddy Hart on a piece of paper and CM Punk on a piece of paper and you tell me who makes more money for WWE. Yet CM Punk is considered one of the top grossing guys in the history of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody missed the ball with Teddy Hart then. Mm-hmm. CM Punk, if you can make that much money off him and he does <laughs> nothing, really, he's a great wrestler, but he does nothing for innovation. He's done nothing for high spots that I've ever seen that are cool. He's, and he's done really, for me, uh, indie shows. He never did any indie shows. He just did the Ring of Honor where they fed him superstar after superstar after superstar. Same with Samoa Joe, same with AJ Styles. Did I ever say they weren't great wrestlers? No, but they weren't as good as Jack Evans. They weren't as good as Neville. They weren't as good as Samurai Del Sol. They weren't as good as El Generico. Not even close. They weren't as good as Paul London. Paul London was better than every one of those guys. Spanky, when he was clean, and Paul London were absolutely phenomenal in WWE. And they got no credit because Sean, for whatever reason, didn't push his own guys. Mm. Those are his guys, you know? Didn't you get into some kind of a fight with Punk, too, at one point? I kicked the living shit out of Punk. <laughs> yeah, he's lucky that it wasn't. He lucky Sabu's there. If Sabu wasn't What's, there. What was the story? I've, I've only heard CM the... Punk's the quote-unquote enforcer 
Uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell Samoa Joe the same thing. Anytime, if you want to throw down, bro, if you think you're that tough because you're Samoan, I'll put a pair of gloves on and I'll do an MMA match and I'll, I'd love to get paid to fight Samoa Joe in an MMA match or CM Punk if both those guys thought they were so tough. Then let's put up or shut up. But I, I far cry. Joe's doing a great job in WWE now. And but CM Punk and Joe, I told both those guys, if you guys think you're tough, walk up to me quickly and ask me to step outside. And I'll take off my shit. And I said we'll go outside and fight. I said they'll be the first uh, man. I said you won't be the first fight I had. I've been punched in the face lots, bro. But I've never been knocked out in my life, and I still have all my teeth. So I said, do not say a word. I said you're a pussy. Pull aparts is what you want. You want the big schmas where you're going. Th- you and guys are grabbing you i said don't say a word walk outside don't say a word because you can see him trying to make the the stand in the restaurant and hoping some people see it so he can go and i can show you and i smiled at him you don't smile at me i said if it's like that don't say a word walk outside so i took off my shit shook his hand mm-hmm. he slapped me across the face before he could put his hand down because i'm pretty fast and i trained a lot of cops i punched him in the face twice and his instincts are to go for a double leg if you're good, Kurt Angle showed me this. He's demonstrating the moves that he's using here. Double leg. First thing you do low is spin through and hook the guy's nose. So Sabu saw me grab CM Punk like that, and that was the end of the fight. It took three shots. So it was like a slap like this, and then boom, boom. And then he tried to go for a double leg, and he was already like this. And that was the end of the fight. I was going to rip CM Punk's nose off his face because it's a street fight. I'm a 185 pound guy. I'm in sandals and a bunch of jewelry and pajamas. If I don't make a statement, a real drastic one, when you when you call me out to fight, you know how many guys I'm gonna have try to call me out to fight in the wrestling business? Right, sure. A lot. So my dad always said, if you're gonna fight, run. If they corner you, climb the wall. But if you can't get out of the situation, rip the guy's nose off his head or rip the guy's eyes out of his head because you're you have no choice. And I'm the nicest guy in the world. I will never fight unless I am humiliated by a guy slapping me in the face after I try to shake his hand. I went outside. I said, dude, let's not do this. Shake my hand. It's cool. Fuck you. I said, okay. I said, you want to shake my hand anyway? He thinks it's wrestling. You know what dumb wrestlers always do? And what happens when I shake your hand in wrestling? Get punched. Guys slap you. His instincts were of a wrestler. Mm. My instincts are of a street fighter. First thing I'm doing is I'm going to stick my fingers in your mouth. I'm going to stick my fingers in your eye. Kevin Nash and I were at a party in Calgary, and some moron decides to kick his chair out from underneath him while he's sitting. He's seven feet tall in a stool like this. So they kick the chair out. Nash catches his balance, falls on top of the guy, and the guy and him start fighting. Nash does one move. And you hear the guy go, finger to the eye. Finger to the eye, and now you can hear Kevin Nash. The guy then tries to grab Kevin Nash's balls. Nash says, "What do you? Th- who do you think's gonna pop first? My balls or your eye socket?" And then the guy just let go. So Nash had the guy by the eye, and he picks him up. And then Nash is such a cl- class act. He says to the guy, "He's like, you're upset because I didn't sign your second autograph. You came to me, I signed one." Then you're going on about Ninja Turtles. The guy was like going on about different movies he was in and he was bothering Kevin for like, turns out the guy's like a soccer player from Ireland, real tough, crazy guy. And he won't let it go. And he's like demanding that Kevin Nash goes outside and fight him. And it's like this big brawl in the hotel. There's a couple bikers there. They don't want to get involved because they're wearing their shirts, their colors. So they're like, we don't want to get on camera in case the hotel camera gets us and something goes wrong. So Nash ends up basically talking to the guys and they call the cops. When the cops come in, the guy 
charges at Kevin Nash. So I take a bottle and I bottle this guy right in the face. And this guy doesn't even move. He just walks right through it and keeps coming at me. And the cops get him from behind. And Kevin looks at me and goes, man, that was great aim. I said, yeah, but what if that guy had come after us? I said, he was so, he's so high on something or so mad. I said, he walked right through that bottle. I said, fine, that would have been a... So Kevin goes, go get the guy out of the car. He's getting charged now. Kevin says, no, we're not charging him. I don't call the cops on anybody. He goes, shake my hand. He drags the guy out of the cop car, makes him shake hands with him, and throws away the paperwork. <laughs> the guy still was mad after, but the guy left, shook his hand. Kevin Nash never called the cops on him after, but he poked in his story of just like how fast when a big guy who's got a million dollars at his house and a beautiful wife and family is threatened, the first thing he does is goes for, Go the, for the eye. I'm threatened. It's my life. My livelihood is my reputation of being pretty tough and a guy that'll walk outside with anybody. Nobody wants to fight. CM Punk had a lot of balls. Big, huge balls, and he's been a great spokesman and a role model for the business after and one of the hardest working guys I've ever heard of after. So I don't have anything bad to say, but I have to be honest about what happened. Then put him over because after he became a guy I looked up to, I trusted, I respected, and what he did in the ring, again, I think I'm a better wrestler than CM Punk, but every guy thinks he's the best kind of thing. But it doesn't change all the great matches he had, and it doesn't change the effect he had on the or the, uh, the 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 impact he had on the business. He made it a he made it really cool for the fans to have that kind of guy. He was like the people's champion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I I believed when he was on the mic what he was saying, and I liked how he could shoot on Triple H. He had certain things he could say that no one else could really say, and I thought he had a lot of balls and charisma and a certain style of delivery that made him almost like you, where I always wanted to. I only watch wrestling most of the time when, when I know you're doing stuff, so I could hear your promos Mm. just because that's what's so hard to me the promos of remembering and how you and the rock the rock's gotten sloppy on his promos a little bit he used to be so crazy you could keep you going forever where you're the only one and i I remember there was one you did with faces where you made the chris benoit or you made the benoit and all the different guys dr zeus poem yeah yeah. that was the you you always had fun with it but you always made it so serious when it needed to be it was like you're a shooter but you're also a well that's the secret of a promo you have to be entertaining when it's time and be serious when it's time. Make people believe. But let me ask you this. So you're talking about when, you, when you're doing the stuff off the cage and getting into the fight with Punk and all this stuff. Is it hard or not? Because you've worked in so many places and done so well, but still don't, like, like you said, you're not in Ring of Honor anymore. No. Not in WWE anymore. Is it harder to find places to go to? Where, where do you work mostly now? Uh, because of those, I had the double rape charge on me. I had a confinement charge. I had a living off the avails. I owned an escort agency before. And uh, so Ring of Honor, I wouldn't work for them. They don't pay me enough just for what my time's worth in real life. WWE, uh, LS Triple H was going to make a deal where uh, certain guys in their company can pay for the marijuana thing ahead of time. If you're only paying me eighty grand a year, then I'm not going to pay twelve thousand dollars a year to smoke pot. It's mm. not worth it. But if I'm if I'm making a little bit more money than that, because I know they don't like to talk numbers and stuff like that, there are certain companies. So you would go rule. back if you had the pot fines if, included in your contract. If someone like Chris Jericho said to me, "I got nothing to do and I want to make some more money. I want to make another comeback, and I would be your partner," or Kevin Nash said, "Listen, I'll walk you out to the ring for six months, so you're protected." And then after six months, if Triple H hasn't made more money off me than. Uh, Jeff Hardy or Matt Hardy for t-shirts then bring in me and Jack Evans for six months and give us a legit run and if we're not good enough and we're not the best team in the world then we're not 10 times 
better than the Young Bucks because the Young Bucks watched us. Mm-hmm. If they're the best tag team in the world, then let me and Jack Evans, who were the best tag team in Mexico when nobody was in Mexico, nobody was down there. And the moves we did were the first guys to create that type of move set and take those kind of bumps. Jack was one of the very first guys to take that head bump where it looks like you break your neck. And oh. if you watch wrestling now, that bump makes wrestling fans that love ultimate fighting still watch wrestling and go, I ain't never seen that in a MMA. Mm-hmm. I ain't never seen that guy get dropped on his head. I mean, you look at the new moves. Have you seen Will Offspray? So Ricochet's the out. best wrestler in the world by far because uh, he, he, Neville got the WWE complacentness where mm-hmm. you wrestle the same guys. Ricochet has to constantly show up and do the newest moves with the newest guys that all want to take the crown of independent king. I was, I was the independent king before. I passed the crown on to Ricochet as the greatest wrestler to ever lace up boots and get in a ring who doesn't have to grab a mic. It's mm-hmm. not his job to be charismatic. That would be your job or Vampiro's job on the mic or Matt Stryker's job. His job is to do those moves and change what evolution of wrestling is. He's now doing stuff that is going to make gymnasts, uh, skateboarders, snowboarders, athletes, divers want to do professional wrestling because it's stuff that the old body slam, suplex, leg drop, it's just too, it's the same shit over and over and over again. You have to change the moveset and you have to, you have to evolve your skills uh, every couple of years as a wrestler to me. You've done new shit. You came up with new moves. You did more now than you did when you were Chris Jericho the Lionheart, I think. Or at least putting it in the right spot so it means Exactly. More, and that you know. even maybe is the most important thing is the vets going back and giving guys that kind of timing. I'm asking these guys, I'm like, how do you have all these guys yet? I'm not seeing good matches on TV again. NXT, you did it for a little while. The second there's like they got cursed once they lost Tyson Kidd in that shitty way by putting him out there when he wasn't supposed to be out there and making him go out to do a job to Samoa Joe who I'm sure Triple H and his little group of guys don't care that Samoa Joe and I used to be enemies and that Joe wasn't a fan it was nothing to do with anything like that it's just bad luck that Joe's the guy that I had a huge beef with years ago and he was the guy on the forefront to keeping me basically out of shows and that I was a problem and we almost had a physical confrontation a couple times why is that because Joe's a guy that talks shit he said that I threw pillows and I was like bro pillows he he says I punched him in the face after the uh, ring of honor thing because he tried to grab Jack and I throw pillows and I said listen if you want to throw pillows then you're a fat guy I'll throw pillows at your stomach and we'll see what happens but I'm telling you right now you tell me I throw pillows then then roll outside with me at the show and if you're such a tough guy then kick my ass like you're talking about it like it's no big deal I've never had a real problem with anybody but I had a little problem with Devon or not, not Devon Bubba Ray Never met him, walked to a show. I guess he was pissed off that I main evented a show and he was on the undercard. Never said a word to him, heard he had a complaint. All the other guys in the whole world of wrestling, every guy, I hear that this guy has a complaint, it's Samoa Joe. And I said, what's the complaint Samoa Joe has? Uh, Samoa Joe says, you throw pillows. And I'm like... Pillows meaning soft punches? My soft punches. And I said, I never had a chance to show show Samoa Joe that I'm a Golden Gloves boxer or any of that type of stuff. I said, and I didn't really care to, but it's one of those guys that I had a hard time... watching get a really tough image or shoot fighter type of reputation in the business when I don't know what he ever did and the same thing with punk it's like you guys are putting guys in this category as being kind of shooters when I know some shooters and they're not getting any credit for being tough guys because they're not stiffing guys in the ring Mm -hmm. so you have to be a you have to stiff guys and this is where my complaint to Joe was Joe's stiffing guys in the ring to, to look tough and I'm going there's an art to this I throw a beautiful punch without ever touching you and it looks like I killed you I throw a beautiful uppercut without touching you you throw a chop which is real I said every time I get chopped it hurts 
I said, so I don't know if a chop to me is a wrestling move. It's a, it's a, it sure works. I said, but I don't ever chop guys. Unless I've been chopped four times, then I'll chop you back once. But I'd rather. So I see these moves that build guys up or make guys famous. And I'm going, it's funny how all the moves I did, I never got put in any paper mm-hmm. for it. I never got any press. But the first time I supposedly raped a girl that made every single newspaper in Canada. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been now... What's the word when you get off your charges? Acquitted? Acquitted, yeah. I've been acquitted. You think the newspapers wrote uh, my no. name? Doesn't work that Doesn't way. Doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. So now I'm just trying to get my uh, my name back. And the companies I want to work for are no company except for WWE in the future, which would be, again, let me clean up my life. Let me clean up the YouTube videos if there's a lot of stuff on there that's not PG-13 or whatever. But that's going to take a year minimum where I can clean up my PR and I could come back to someone like and I, the reason I say you is because you're the only guy that I know that has a vested interest in fairness why would I risk after 37 years old of trying to get there for 15 years why would I risk not doing exactly what you wanted when you asked me to it's way harder being an independent wrestler than it is a WWE wrestler if you're being my if you're doing what I do mm-hmm. I would love to be in catering I'd love to have some some guys in the back that were experts telling me you're doing too much kid try this move at this time instead of doing this here and a guy helping me with promos hey I got a guy like Brett comes back or Jericho comes back or Nash came back and they're actually mentoring you on what to do and you're walking around a hotel with them and talking about how you deal with mentally being lonely at night or missing your family things I can use to help better my career I'm going that's information I need the only reason I came back here this cost me uh, $4,000 because I lost my job I work with handicapped kids and I, I have two handicapped kids I work with and one of them let the other one out of the house and it's a $3,000 a month job plus per diem plus house plus car and these kids got all excited One was supposed to meet you today. I told him about the podcast. He's in jail now. Mm. He got caught stealing my projector. He went to pawn it at night. And the other kid that was supposed to be caretaking for him is also in my program. He's an alcoholic. So he passed out and he let the other kid out of the house and the cops ended up arresting him. And it cost me my job. So I, I came back to do this podcast only to come back to now I've lost my job and I'm going back to Los Angeles immediately because I don't have any more work here. So we, I knew this before I oh, came thanks. here. So I was like, I just wanted to see you and, and not be late. And as I'm driving here, I checked the wire on my phone and the cat's bit through my wire. So my phone's not working and I'm thinking I'm going to be late for Chris Jericho, <laughs> the one guy that's trying to help me out. He has no reason to podcast me. I'm not some significant guy in wrestling anymore. I'm basically washed up, uh, you know, not, not, I wouldn't say a bomber, a has-been, nothing like that. I'm better now than I was, but I'm a washed-up guy that's missed his potential and window of opportunity. But in wrestling, maybe I get a little bone at the end of the road where some guys go, listen, he's not going to do anything worse than what he's already done, which is all we do is fire him for a third time and mm. just make him look like even more of an idiot. But again, I don't think that would be my future. I think my future would be pleasant, pleasantly surprising them that I'm a different guy. Uh, I have a very good mind and a very good mind for coaching and helping. My dream job would be to wrestle in WWE uh, for a year and then become a scout and, and help with guys in the back and charisma and designing outfits and creating like a, a new type of gear that protects wrestlers. Like, like me and Triple H to go to like Nike and go, we want wrestling gear that protects MMA wrestlers' backs. Mm. I do a pile driver. Why is there nothing in my shorts to give me a little cushion on my spine? I do an arm drag. My elbow pads do nothing to really help me. I got to, you know, like, but the equipment that wrestling is not making, look how cool hockey equipment is. 
Mm-hmm. Look how much time and energy goes into football equipment, to their shoes, to their skates. I've been trying to get Chris Benoit years ago to get Vince McMahon the boot. I designed a boot that was like a wrestling shoe boot with a pump and a high hydraulics on it. You could change the color of it. It was really cool. <laughs> he, it was supposed to be like a Batman boot that actually made you jump high. Right, 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 right. So right. let me ask you a quick question, talking about innovative stuff uh, about the cats. Oh, yeah. I need to hear about the cats. I wanted to be able to train an animal to come to the ring that no one had yet done. So the dog was already done. The snake was already done. The bird was already done. uh, The horse was already done. So I was like, well, the the house cat is the most popular animal on YouTube. Everyone always does the pictures of the cute cats. Maybe I can get a cat to come out to the ring with me. So I took, started taking the cats and putting them in this little house. So they'd, they'd be up above on this little thing. And only one type of cat was listening, like wanting to be receptive was this Persian cats. So I started just working with Persian cats. The Siamese were too independent. They're too curious. They always want to do their own thing. And you can't punish a cat for not listening. So you got to get the cat to think he's a dog. So the first thing I did was a new breed. I got this new kitten and I could tell he was really smart right off the hop. So I, I just left him with the Chihuahua. And every time the Chihuahua wouldn't listen, we could punish the Chihuahua and the cat would follow suit. So the dog started teaching the cat to be a dog and the cat never saw any other cats besides its mother and we would let it do the breastfeeding and then we'd take it back off and bring it with us everywhere. So he'd only be with the mom for maybe like the, the little bit of feeding time a day. And this is like at two weeks old, three yeah. weeks old. He's always been with me that one, Mr. Money. He's in the car. I'll go get him after mm. for you say hi to him. But they, they said when I bought him, I bought him from this veterinarian and she said these were genetically altered cats to be more like dogs. I didn't understand what she meant or the science behind them, but she said they put a lot of money engineering this cat to be hyperallergenic. Now, I don't know if that means breeding for a certain amount of time with like a Norwegian forest cat versus with a Persian rather than doing Persian, 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 because the dandruff of a Norwegian forest cat is supposed to be less toxic to people that are allergic to cats. Gotcha. The reaction. So, right. Whatever the thing is, this cat turns out to be hyperallergenic and so smart, he's like a dog. And every other cat that watches him now copies him. So I can go back to my Siamese who doesn't listen to shit, but the Siamese is now starving a bit and now he's watching what that cat's doing to get food because the only one getting fed is the Persian because he's the only one listening because I tell him to do all the stuff and he listens. So now the other ones are watching. So I started training the rest of my cats with this one Persian cat named Mr. Money. And I've been successful now. I have five wrestling cats that are trained enough to stand to on the do turnbuckle. what? They, they just. I'll go get the cat. I'll show you. Well, well come back. Tell 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 the story. Yeah, come back and tell the story. So so the, so the cat. What does the cat do? They come to the ring with you and just wait there. It's really hard to get a cat to sit still. Yeah. So the first trick I wanted to do was just leave the cat on the turnbuckle and walk away. So, but sometimes he runs away. So when I started doing it in practice he would run away and then I had to bang the ropes and I would jump on the ropes and then I'd make him stay so he'd get used to the ropes moving so that wasn't a big deal really weird in Mexico I brought him out fireworks in the ring every corner has a firework on it I don't realize there's fireworks on the ring I put him on the corner all the fireworks go off but one corner doesn't go off that's the corner he's standing on so he's been lucky he got out twice in Mexico for a whole day 40 million people downtown, and I found him walking across the street the next morning. <laughs> put him back in my car, put him back in the hotel. Same thing uh, two years ago. He's uh, in Arlington. He gets out. The ladies we're living with don't realize he's not fixed, so he still has his balls. So he is a very, very trained cat, but you see how he sits? Oh, yeah. So, so he would come to the ring with you? He comes to the ring like this. He sits in a, he, I call it the couch. Right. So he does this position. 
So he'll come to the ring in a flat like position like this, and then you know cats always kick out, right? Yeah. So when I throw him up in the air, hold yourself like a ball. He'll hold himself like a ball. He just held himself like a ball. And he'll stay like this. Now if I want him to twist, he'll do twists. You want to do a spin? So if I spin him, he cannot spin another cat. If you try to spin another cat, he won't spin once. He just spun the cat in the air and caught so the cat. This one, now, this is his favorite one. He likes to do this, and he'll stretch out like this. And then I'll throw him up in the air, and he'll be like a moonsault. <laughs> cat just did a moonsault. <laughs> Daddy, that's crazy, man. That's great. <laughs> as long as he gets a treat after, he's very receptive. He likes to do the tricks. He doesn't get scared. He's he wants to come say hi to you. <laughs> Is his name again? Mr. Money. Mr. Money. Good stuff. Last question, Teddy. What's your favorite match that you've ever had? If you had to pick one, um, is the one that stands out? Yeah, but I, I will just have to say me and Jack, and it could have been any one of our matches we had in Mexico. There was mm. just we had. We had, well, I'll just say one I had in Laredo. Me and Jack had a match in Laredo. No TV, no cameras, Dr. Cantoon. And he said, I'll pay you guys 500 bucks extra to steal the show. And we went out there and I cut my hand open on a blade. We were going to blade for him and everything. And so I went to take the blade out of my hand, out of my thumb and I cut my hand open before the match. So I was and I'm like, we can't do the match. My hand's bleeding so bad. It's not going to stop bleeding. I need to get stitches. I have no crazy glue. So Cantoon said, just go out there and put the blood on your head from your hand. So I went out there and I used the hand. It bled so much my hand that it looked like I was covered in blood from my hand. My, I never bladed at all, but I just used my hand like I was bleeding. So the first move Jack did was he threw me against the turnbuckle and I had my hands sealed with the tape. And right when I took the tape off, the blood just started gushing out. So I just put it on my head. I took the buckle and then we did a really, really crazy, every move I could ever do with Jack. We had all these little combos we wanted to do. And that was the only match we remembered every single one of them. Mm -hmm. And he came back up. He paid us both 500 bucks on top of our 500 bucks for the show. He gives $1,000 each. So that was a that was, was a remember big, yeah yeah i'm sorry chris if i i this one i felt like i was all over the place because i didn't i'd never talked to you and there's little bits of details like i'd like you to know or like or that i liked lance storm i didn't did not like lance yeah, storm or like that samoa joe turned out to be a good guy most of the time after getting to know him cm punk turned out to be a class act it would have been the worst thing i ever did would be hurting him if i had hurt him it would have stopped so many other guys that he's helped out and and the way wrestling went so a lot of the things that i think i'm wanting to do or police or be a bad guy god for some reason didn't make me do those things and then later in retrospect i look back and i go the guy i am now is so much smarter and more clear-headed and no revenge no anger happy that i got to live the life i got to live i had a beautiful life i had a beautiful career i got to meet a lot of people but i have 20 years of wrestling left in my tank i want my i would like my future and someone to go can he be accountable and if he can be, then tell me where I have to start to go, what I have to start to do to become a guy that's a WWE friendly, where I can show up at NXT in the audience and get a salute, or I can show up at WrestleMania and for some reason I don't get a ticket even though I'm WWE X WWE. Well, Teddy can get you back on track, man. Get you back on the map, baby. I, I was wanted to do a shout out, guys. I'm sorry to my wrestling school in Los Angeles. Yes. It's called UEW. And it's uh, Underground Empire Wrestling, I think is what it is. I just got hired by them to do my school. So I am now living in Los Angeles. I have a brand new building. We're putting a VIP lounge in there. It'll be open 24 hours a day for wrestlers to come train. Uh, there'll be cameras in there. There'll be a promo room in there. There'll probably be uh, two rings set up. And we have a catch wrestling uh, league too. So we do all catch wrestling for all of our beginner students. They learn catch wrestling before they do anything else. Then we teach them lucha. And we teach them a little bit of the American style. But it's in Los Angeles. And I have the other school in Florida 
which I'm doing with uh, St. Laurent, which is I Believe in Wrestling. And if you want to get into wrestling, guys, if you're not going to take Lance Storm's school, which I say is probably one of the best in the world, uh, check out mine. Check out uh, I Believe in Wrestling or UEW in Los Angeles. Uh, we have guest coaches coming in from Lucha Underground all the time. We bring in guys from Mexico, and I try to get guys, uh, legends from WWE, to come in because they just opened it to come in and do seminars with me. So uh, please keep an eye out for it. And I love my fans, and thanks to Chris Jericho. All right, thanks to Teddy Hart. Appreciate the stories. Uh, very unique, like I said. Some may be exaggerated, some may be 1,000% true. Uh, you never know with Teddy, and it doesn't matter. A very charismatic guy who uh, I think deserves another chance at the national scene, and he probably will get that. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting all the great shows here on Talk is Jericho and all the great shows on the Jericho Network as well, including the newest show, Beyond the Darkness. It's a smash hit already, doing great numbers for its first episode. Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis doing a tremendous job creeping everybody out with the tales of the black-eyed kids a demonic possession alien attack so many uh you i know you guys love the paranormal shows that i have on talk is jericho and you're going to love beyond the darkness because they keep going with all of these uh tales of the fantastic tales of the paranormal hit the subscribe button at, at itunes for beyond the darkness and all the jericho network shows killing the town keeping 100 with conan teak tiger awesome we got a lot of great shows coming up uh thanks for listening and thanks for doing all your holiday shopping through the talk is jericho amazon links Easiest way to support the show, hopefully taking some of the uh, stress out of shopping and gift giving. Gift giving. Uh, I did all my shopping on Amazon, that's true, and Amazon made it so easy and hassle-free that, I'm, that, I, uh, that I was finished in a couple days. Everybody was happy with the presents, uh, everyone was happy with the holiday gifts, and you can be happy too, now that you have some extra holiday cash, go spend that cash at Amazon. You can find all of my Amazon links at podcastone.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada. Remember, every time you use them links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to this show to help us cover production costs. You can buy just about anything you can think of on Amazon, and you can do that through my links, all right? And go to podcastone.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, Uagey, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All my other great sponsors are there as well. Simply Safe, the greatest alarm system I've ever used. Uh, go to simplysafejericho.com, S-I-M-P-L-I, safejericho.com, to get $200 off Simply Safe's special holiday secure system. MeUndies, go to meundies.com slash Jericho to get 20% off your first order and free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. TrueCar, the fastest, easiest way, most cheapest way to buy a new car. Download the TrueCar app now. And don't forget, March 15th, 2017. It's the biggest podcast ever. Everyone's looking at me right now here in the airport. <laughs> but that's when Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho. The countdown rolls on only 74 days until Mick appears here on Talk is Jericho. That's it. That's all. Baby goes to sleep. Now, thank you so much for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming next. And on Wednesday, the first show of 2017 is a great interview with one of my favorite people I've ever met in the, in the wrestling business, uh, one of the biggest stars in, in, in Mexico in wrestling history and one of the biggest trainers in NXT right now. I'm talking about Norman Smiley. I've known him since 19. 1992. He wrestled as Black Magic in Mexico, and now he is an NXT trainer that is the most beloved NXT trainer. He's going to tell us stories about working in Mexico, working in Japan, training with Dean Malenko, training with Boris Malenko, and actually uh, teaching and training all of the students in NXT. His favorite performers in the WWE that he's had something to do with is, is uh, the ones he thinks are going to be big stars. Uh, and Norman Smiley, a huge, huge interview. You are going to love this guy. He's got one of the most contagious laughs I've ever heard. A great way to kick off 2017 with big Norman Smiley. Thank you so much. Have a safe new year. Don't drink and drive. Trust me. 
Uh, you don't want to spend three days in jail, and uh, you don't want to get hurt. And thank you so much. It's been a, a crazy year, uh, and I like to say uh, dedicate this show and uh, the shows upcoming to Carrie Fisher. Uh, obviously, one of the biggest influences in my life uh, as a kid. I think she was the hottest girl I'd ever seen when I was like 13. Tremendous actress, obviously Princess Leia. She's great in all the Star Wars movies, and also uh, she was amazing. The Blues Brothers as the jilted lover that tries to kill Jake Blues with a with a bazooka. Uh, she was in The Burb. She was great in Thirty Rock. Uh, she's just a tremendous uh, writer as well. So uh, definitely an iconic, maybe the first female pop culture icon, uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. So this one's to Carrie Fisher. This one's to all of the uh, lost uh, lost legends that we suffered through this year. 2016 was a, was a bitch, no doubt about that. But, I mean, so many, um, uh, like I said, I'm going to get a little list here, pull it up and show you guys, read them out to you, some of the biggest names that we lost uh, this year. Uh, and this is a tribute to all of them. I'm Carrie Fisher, George Michael, Alan Thicke, David Bowie, Prince, Lemmy, even though it was December 28th of last year, I'm still counting it, Anton Yelchin, Gene Wilder, Leonard Cohen, Muhammad Ali, Alan Rickman, Angus Scrim, uh, Dan Haggerty, uh, uh, Vanity, George Kennedy, George Martin, Natalie Cole, Keith Emerson, Frank Sinatra Jr., Glenn Fry, Jimmy Bain, Abe Vigoda, uh, Gary Shanling, Patty Duke, Janet Reno, Merle Haggard, Blackjack Mulligan, uh, China. Doris Roberts, uh, Morley Safer, Kenny Baker, Archer D2, Nick Menza from Megadeth, Miss Cleo, I wonder if she predicted her own passing, Robert Vaughn, Pete Burns, Alexis Arquette, Bobby V, Lou Pearlman, uh, Alan Vega, Arnold Palmer, Florence Henderson, Fidel Castro, so many uh, legendary uh, people, performers, friends uh, left us. So this, uh, we dedicate this this new year to them. Uh, live the most that you can, live the best that you can, be a cool cat, and have a great new year. That's all i got to say about that. Uh, we'll see you next year, and a big yeah boy to all of you. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 